Hallelujah. If there's ever a place where there's people alive, it's in the house of the living God, because generally it's those that know the Lord Jesus Christ that make the effort to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm glad you're here tonight. We, we hear so often that times are changing. And can I say this? They've always changed. Times never stand still. But I will agree that tonight times are changing rapidly, even in our country. I mean, we could speak about the whole world, but in our country alone, times are changing rapidly. They're rewriting American history. It's happening so fast, we don't even know about it until it's already implemented and being taught in our public schools. And it's like, when did this happen? They don't announce that. It's not like we're involved in our public schools like maybe we should be. But the fact remains, things happen rather quickly. They are redefining words. I mean, who would ever think that someone would say marriage is between two members of the same gender? That defies common sense. That defies even unsaved man's thinking for hundreds, yea, thousands of years. They're redefining the, the term gender. It depends on how you feel. Listen, there have been times I have felt like a woman and screamed. I remember I was at the golf and we went out and the next thing I know, here comes a shark coming right at me. And I screamed like a three-year-old girl. Ah! And ran and it was just a dolphin. And boy, I'm telling you, I'm sure he went back and told all his friends and just laughed at me. I, I have felt like Rocky, I have felt like Barney. If you go by your feelings, that's not a very good way to determine what you are. Quite frankly, some of you don't feel like you're saved from time to time. And some of you feel like you are and you're not. You can't trust your feelings. All of that stuff is with the intent to create confusion. The good book says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that same culture is creeping into the church of the living God. And if we had no other reason to have revival meetings, this would be a reason to have special meetings. Because Sunday morning, Sunday night may not be enough when you're being indoctrinated six other days of the week through your job, through the media. And if you're not careful, you're going to change your views on truth unintentionally. I mean, today they are redefining the word grace to make it sound like you can live any way you want. That grace allows you to live in sin. That's not the grace of the Bible. Grace is the power of God to do God's will. They are redefining the word church. There's a reason for that. The subject of the church is so precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it. He started the church. That, by definition, makes it pretty important. 
You start up your own business, I want to tell you, that business is going to be important to you. He started the church. He empowers the church. He meets with the church. He gets glory in the church. He fellowships with the church. He converts sinners in the church. He matures believers in the church. He handles life's problems in the church. He calls the church his darling. He calls the church his bride. He protects her. He provides for her. He purifies her. He loves her. No wonder the devil hates the church. Because God loves the church. What's the big deal about church? Summarized in a short sentence. It's a big deal to God. But it should be a big deal to us. No wonder the devil and the rulers of darkness and the anti-God world governments hate the church. They want control. Why? Because the devil wants control. They want control, they want the glory, they want the finest workers, they want the whole planet to bow to the rulers of darkness. And tonight, I want to talk to the church. Now when I say talk, don't misunderstand that. I'm going to teach a little bit, but I'm also going to preach. You say, what's the difference? When I teach, I'm going to talk to you. When I preach, I'm going to yell at you. So if you're a little sensitive, don't get your feelings hurt. I'm not mad at you. I'm just passionate about the truth of the living God. And this crowd knows it's important. Where you will buck up against me is when God speaks to you. Because then you're going to think this is the preacher's opinion, when in reality Bruce Humbert has no ability to get inside your heart. And if God speaks to you, that's what you and I need to hear. Revelation says, hear what the Spirit says to the church. If all you leave tonight is with a, a funny illustration or an outline or a fact that you had never heard before, then you are leaving bankrupt. You should hear what the Spirit has to say to you. Because He will speak to you that He will not speak to your wife. And you can't tell God what to tell your wife. He wants to speak to you. Now I'm looking in Hebrews chapter 10. Have you found it yet? If you got it, say amen. amen. Oh, you sound like you're ready for it. Look in verse number 23. Oh, and I'd love to preach the entire chapter. You wouldn't want to hear the sermon starting in verse 26. But if this message gets boring, just go ahead and read on. You'll want to come back to my message. Verse 23. Let us, those of us that are saved, let us hold fast. That means keep secure. That means to have a firm possession of. Let us hold fast 
the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching, verse 25, the first seven words, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And tonight I want to preach a little bit and teach why it's so good to belong to Bible Baptist Church. There ought to be some good reasons. I could title it, What's the Big Deal About Church? We know it's a big deal to God, but it should be a big deal for you folks. Why it's so important, why I love the local New Testament church. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word tonight to an eternal bound audience. Not all of us will be here in a year. Some may leave because they found a church that they like better because it allows them to live the life they want to live rather than being under sound doctrine. Some may not be here next year because they'll move out of the area and they'll be looking for another church. Some may not be here next year on this planet. And so we have no way of seeing into the future where we're going to be but we do know this, we're all going to stand before you in a rather short amount of time. And so we want to do what's right, right here, right now. As if this was our last day, our last week, our last month on this earth. Help us, God, to be faithful. Revive us. And I pray that you would be pleased, not only with the teaching and preaching of your word, but the hearing of it and the obedience to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In 2019, before COVID, statistics said that each week over 110 million people went to church somewhere in America. Think of that number. 110 million. Let me put it in perspective. If you take all the people who ever went to a basketball game, ever went to a football game, ever went to a baseball game, ever went to a tennis match, any public sporting event, you add them up for an entire year, that would not equal the number of people that went to church in one year week in America. That's a lot of people going to church. And yet, for most of those people, they have no idea why they attend church. And it can happen even in our kind of church. I mean, we're the elite, right? We're fundamental independent. Narrow-minded, King James only, red-letter edition, no fun Baptists. We're the elite. And you would think in our church, we know why we're in church. 
We know what the big deal about church is. But so many of our young people walk away. So somewhere we need not just to say it, but to show them the reason why church is a big deal. Why, did, why are we up tonight? Why have we, after a long day and a long week, why do we come out on Saturday night when most of us would rather be home and resting and maybe spending time with our family? Well, I'll tell you, there's good reasons why we do this. And if you're visiting with us tonight, we're glad you're here. And I'm going to tell you, you visit here a few weeks, you're going to find, I'm not exaggerating, you will love this church. This is a wonderful church. I just looked in my uh, history. I've been coming here since 2015. That's amazing. I think I've preached more in this church, well, I know, than any other church in Florida, but maybe more than any other church that I've preached for. I don't know. I think Brother Dane heard that I have a really good sermon a famous sermon, and every time I preach, he says, we'll have him back. Maybe he'll preach it next time. <laughs> so I keep getting invitations back, hallelujah. Tonight, I'm going to give you just two thoughts. We normally have three-point outlines, a poem, and a word about tithing. But tonight, it's just going to be two points. So fasten your seatbelt. Why the church is a big deal to us. Why it's so important. Why I love this church. Number one, we need church because it helps us live a life of obedience. Can I say this kindly? People look to be hit and missers in church because they don't want to be accountable. Sometimes people leave churches that they think are too strict, too narrow-minded, not up with the times, because they don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to live a life of obedience. And can I say this kindly? We have every reason, no, you have every reason to doubt whether or not you're saved. If you're saved tonight, you're going to fail. But if you're saved tonight, you want to live a life of obedience to God. If your father is God, you want to please him. That's part of the new nature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our life is in a constant changing process to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, you're either a saint or you ain't. You say that's not good English, but it's perfect theology. The definition of the word church means a visible, local, called-out assembly of people for a specific purpose. Truth of the matter is, in the literal sense, a church could be Dolphins fans, down in Miami, a few blocks down the road, there's a big temple. It's called a stadium. And those that worship the dolphins are going to be there. 
there'll be some that will actually miss church to go to a game. Isn't that amazing? And boast to their friends, I got tickets to go to the Dolphins. My, oh my, that's another sermon in and of itself. The Rotary Club could be considered, by the definition, ecclesia, the Greek word that we get the English word church, the Rotary Club, the Masons, their local, visible, called-out assemblies. The Lord's Church is the assembly that He started. And it's local, it's visible, it's a called-out assembly of believers. And we gather together because we love God. You say, do I have to go to church to show that I love God? No, but if you love God, you go to church. Does that make sense? That's why our church is designed for God's kids, not the devil's kids. Jesus said, I will build my church. I'm not going to have a church filled with the things of the world I want to bring people to a place where they don't have to be around the things of the world. We're in existence to reach the devil's kids with the gospel, not more of the worldly junk they're used to. We want to bring them here so they can be introduced to a God that loves them. And if unsaved people are attracted to our church, it will be because of the spirit of love. The spirit of kindness, the spirit of forgiveness, the the caring spirit, the spirit of purpose and confidence and cleanliness. Though they may not agree with our message and though they may not like our music, there'll be something attractive to them because deep in their heart, that's what every human being desires. The church helps Christians live a life of obedience to God And that's what's important to those of us that are saved. That's why it's hard for me to speak with a man and and understand when he says he's saved, but he refuses to be baptized. Now keep in mind, I have some of my own family that for years have not gotten baptized. I'm not criticizing someone that doesn't understand it or has shyness or physical problems. I'm talking about a person that understands the scriptures, knows what God says about baptism, but refuses to be baptized. That doesn't add up. You don't find one unbaptized believer in the New Testament. Everyone that gets saved gets baptized. In fact, there's people that got baptized to identify themselves with the church and with Christ. They weren't even saved. But when they found out they weren't saved, they got born again. And guess what? They got rebaptized. Why? Because it's a public confession of what's inside, and they wanted to obey God. It makes no sense when someone says they love God, but they refuse to obey Him in the very first command to be baptized. It's like the cemetery raising the price of burials and blaming it on the cost of living. It makes no sense to me. How can a believer not obey the first command after he gets saved? I don't know it. I don't understand that. 
But I'll guarantee you this, if you don't obey that one, there'll be others that you'll choose not to. Otherwise, you're going to have a convenient Christianity. You're going to make God into your image. Obedience. Back home, if I were preaching, I'll guarantee it. The church could quote to me the definition of obedience. That's one of the few things that I think I accomplished. We went over it over and over because primarily we had five baby girls born in five years. I don't know if you can think that through, but that's an interesting life for 20 years. Five girls, five years, four weddings in 19 months. And now with 11 grandchildren that visit our home at Christmas every year, tell our church the prettiest lights at Christmas are the taillights of our children pulling out of the driveway. When you have a bunch of little ones in your house, we want to teach them to obey. Our kids would say to Lori at Christmas, Mom, what do you want for Christmas? Reply, good children. Mom, what do you want for your birthday? Good children. You know what she's saying? If you love me, obey me. God said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience is to do exactly what you're told to do. The instant you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. You have a son and you tell him, son, I want you to take the garbage out of every room in the house, take it out back behind the garage, and I want you to put it in the garbage can, put the lid on the garbage can. You got it, son? Yes, sir. He gets up, he goes and collects all the garbage throughout the house, picks it up, goes into the back of the garage, and doesn't like the neighbor all that much, and notices no one's looking, so he dumps all the garbage in his neighbor's yard. Question, did he obey? Why not? He didn't do exactly what he was told to do. Dad gets word, he comes and speaks to his son and gives him some motivation to do a better job the next time. And a few days later, he comes to his son. He said, now, son, I want you to collect all the garbage, take it out back, put it in the garbage can in, behind the garage, put the lid on top. Do you understand? There's a difference between a garbage can and a neighbor's yard. Put it in the garbage can. And so the son gets up, but he notices his favorite TV show is coming on. I love Lucy. And so he sits and watches an episode of I Love Lucy. And the next thing you know, his second favorite show comes on. Flipper, my friend Flip. Oh, no, that's my friend Flicka. That's going way back. Flipper, the dolphin, something you guys would relate to here. And after he's watched four or five TV shows, it's, oh, I'm supposed to take, and he gets up, collects all the garbage, goes out behind the garage, puts it in the garbage can, puts the lid on. Did he obey? No, why not? He did not do it the instant he was told to do it. A couple days later, after his dad again gave him some motivation to get it right the next time and emphasized it a little more so, the son is instructed to collect all the garbage again. He picks it up and he walks through the house. Why do I always got to take the garbage? 
I mean, my sisters, they never have to take out the garbage. and Most of the garbage just comes from them. And here I am. I don't, I don't cause much dirt around the house, and I got to take it out. And my word, Dad never does anything. Comes home, sits on the couch, and doesn't do anything. And here I am. I got to take out the garbage. He goes out into the backyard, puts it in the garbage can, slams the lid on there, and walks in the house. Did he obey? Why not? Didn't have the right heart attitude. I wonder how well we obey. Tonight God is going to speak to you. I know he will. He always does. It may not be what I say you need to get right. But the spirit of God has probably already begun working in your heart and speaking to you directly and personally. Obedience means to do exactly what you're told to do. The instant you're told to do it. Right here, right now. Not someday. Now. With the right heart attitude. And let's be honest, church. As good as we are, we just heard the preacher say, all of us are prone to wander. That's the old nature. We are all prone to wonder. And that's why church is a big deal to us. The church helps me live a life of obedience. You don't like that you aren't where you ought to be? Think where you would be if you weren't in church. Some of you would be in jail. Some of us would be dead. The church helps me live a life of obedience. Secondly, we need church because it helps us center our life around God through worship. So much is spoken of worship as if music is worship. That's only one facet of worship. You can't worship without giving. You can't worship without serving. The simplest way to define and describe worship is this. Building your life around God. Centering your life around God. Some Christians think that worship is just, we go to church and now we're done. God's just one of the boxes we check off. That's not it. That's, we are to be worshipers of God 24-7. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you don't even have to come to this building to worship God. But if you worship God, you wouldn't think of missing an assembly here. Miami Dolphin fans, I'm a Buckeye fan. I can't help I was born in Ohio. And if that's a problem for you, that's all right. You'll get it right in heaven. But I'm a Buckeye fan. And 
quite frankly, if someone gives me tickets to see the Ohio State Buckeyes, I'm going to be there. If it doesn't interfere with church, I'm going to be there. You know why? I love those Buckeyes. I talk about the Buckeyes all year round. Football's only for a short season, but I talk about it all year round. I'll wear my Buckeyes hat. I'll see someone else with a Buckeyes hat or a Buckeyes shirt. I don't even know the guy. And I'll go by him and say, O-H. You know what he's going to say? I O. We're proud of the fact that we are spelling bee champs. Hallelujah. That's code saying, I like you. And he's saying, I like you too. You know why we like each other? Because we both love the Buckeyes. That's why believers, when you find out, I don't care where you're at. I've been on airplanes. I've been in other states. When you find out something, you get that sense. You know, I think they're a Christian. I think they know God. When you find out they're a believer, just something that you, I mean, you like them. Why? Because we both love the same God. Worship means I'm going to build my life around God. God didn't put you on this earth to live a self-centered life. He didn't put you here for your benefit. He put you here for his benefit. You exist for God, not vice versa. Not vice versa. Some people think that God is their little genie in the bottle. And all they have to do is stroke the Bible a little bit, and poof, God comes out and says, oh, thank you, wondrous one. What can I do for you? No. We exist for God. God wants to be the hub of your heart. He wants to be the axis of your existence. He wants to be the core of your being. He wants to be the focus of your attention. He wants to be the center of your life. That's what worship is. Anytime God is the center of your life, you're worshiping. Many of you say we worship God. We adore him. How do we know that? We know that if he's the center of your life. Well, how do we know if we're not worshiping? Well, it's simple. You want to hear how you know? We worry. Worry is the symptom or the warning light that God is not the center of your life. You'll either be worshiping God or worrying yourself. Worry comes from fear. And every student of the Word of God knows that fear and faith cannot occupy the same heart at the same time. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing. You know what he's saying? Don't worry. If you find yourself starting to worry, what are we supposed to do? In everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God. Otherwise, God is who I'm trusting. God is who I'm worshiping. He's in control. If you worship your life, 
you'll be fearful of dying. How about some old-fashioned saints? How about some Job's? Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. How about some Hebrew children threatened to be tossed into a fiery furnace? Listen, king, you got to do what you got to do. We don't even have to pray about this matter. Our God, let us just be frank with you, our God is able to deliver us, but we don't have to pray about it because we're not bowing our knee to you. We worship God. We'd rather die happy than live sadly. And too many Christians worship their own life and they'd rather live sadly, and they are, than to live happy and worshiping God. If you worship God, no, you don't want to leave your family. No, you don't want to leave your friends. But it's just for a short time. If I die... I die. How about some Queen Esthers? Our God is able to save us. But if he takes us home, we're going to be with him. This past year, we had some major events in our life. We sold our home. And it happened while we were here in Florida. We're driving to this side of the state, I think, to be in your church. We're driving over here to stay with some friends down the road in Margate, or I think that's the town they lived in. And so we're driving over there, and we get a phone call from our realtor and our house sold. And we're thinking, oh, my word. We're 13, 1,400 miles from there. What are we going to do with all that stuff? They want to close, and we have to be out of our house in three weeks. That's 40 years plus of stuff in a house that we got to be out, and I'm booked every week to preach, and most of them are in the state of Washington. That's going to be hard to run back and forth to help Lori pack everything, and that was my intent. I'll let her go home and do that, and I'll come and help her a couple days each week and go back. No, no, no. I want to tell you. So we, we bought us a little mobile home, really just to be a storage shed. Wow. That was a major upheaval. We also bought our tombstone. Got it set up. Told our kids, we're making all our moves this year. We're moving from Moni to Mantino and then to the mud <laughs> in the graveyard up there. Hopefully that will be put off for quite a while. Hallelujah. And on the back of the tombstone, and I said that and thought it was kind of funny, and then my sister said, yeah, remember, nobody in our family gets out of their 60s. Well, I'm 69. Everybody in our family dies somewhat young. And so we're going to have a watch night service at our church just to see if I make it to 70. So hallelujah, I expect some texts on June the 16th. Did you make it? <laughs> On our tombstone, it says Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ. 
to die is gain. I don't want to die, but I'm not afraid. My God will take care of me. Matthew 22 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Underlying verse 38, it's the first and greatest commandment. This is the most important thing we can do to know and love God. Why? That's, that's what God created you for, to know him, to have a relationship with him. Yet so many people do not know their God their whole life. And religion is a man-made substitute to help the longing in our soul, but it's insufficient. Religion is a religion. It's dead. And you can be religious even in a fundamental, independent, narrow-minded, King James-only, red-letter edition Baptist church. God wants a relationship with you. And you develop a relationship by spending time with someone. John chapter 4, Jesus gives us some thoughts, some requirements for true worship. John 4, 24, you know what it says. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth, that's authentically and accurately. You must worship him in spirit, authentically. That means in your spirit. This means you just don't give God lip service. You say, I love you, God, but you're really not thinking about him. Your heart is not in love with him. You're thinking about a football game. You're thinking about how quickly you can get out of church. You're trying to read your Bible as fast as you can. You're thinking of all different kinds of things. You can't be sleeping and worshiping God. I don't criticize people that, worship, uh, that sleep while I'm preaching. I, I'm amazed anybody stays awake. All I ask is, please don't snore. If you snore, we might come and uh, wake you up. But you're not worshiping God when you're sleeping because it requires your spirit to be engaged. God wants you to be awake to worship physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. You've got to really mean it. You've got to do it from your heart. It, it's just part of the inner core. You love God. Don't just give him lip service. And then secondly, he says, it, it's got to be in truth. You must worship him in truth. That means it must be accurate. You can't just make up your idea of what God is. Every once in a while, I hear people say, I like to think of God as like Coca-Cola. Really? You're going to compare the creator of the universe as Coca-Cola? Well, he's the real thing. Oh, that's so cool. Seriously, the creator of the universe? You think that's cool? Besides, who made you the expert? The truth is, you're just making it up. And when you make up an idea of God, the Bible has a word for that called an idol. God says, don't make me into your image. 
I want to make you into my image. It doesn't really matter what you think God is like. It doesn't really matter what I think God is like. What really matters is what he says he's like. We must worship him in truth. We can't just make up a God and worship that. We must worship the true and living God. People say, well, I think God will understand. Do you have a chapter and verse for that? Or are you making that up? John 4, 23 says that the Father seeks such to worship him. They are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks after. Do you know the Bible says God is looking for a people that he can have a relationship with? Is there anyone out there who really wants to know God? That's who God is looking for. That's the purpose of our life, to know and love God and worship God. He is the center of my life. He's the center of why I go to work. He's the, cent- He's the reason why I go to school. He's the reason why I even contemplate retirement. He's the reason why I want to see my grandkids. It's God. God is the center of my life. And that's why the church is so good to belong to. It helps me live a life of obedience to God. And it helps me to center my life around God. Aren't you glad that you're a member of Bible Baptist Church? How many of you in here have been a member for at least five years? Raise your hand. Okay, I've been coming since 2015. That's eight years. How many have been here since 20, no, 2015? Oh, my. How many have been here more than 10 years? Oh, my word. That's a joy to see. Staying by the stuff. Because you've been discouraged in those years, have you not? Come on. Don't look at me like you don't. Everything's been hunky-dory. Liar, liar, pants on fire. There have been times you've been mad at other church members. There have been times you've been mad at the preacher. And can I say it? There's been times when other church members were mad at you. And probably the preacher mad at you too. That's just part. But the fact that we've stayed it, stayed faithful. If God brings you here, unless it's doctrinal or moral or a biblical reason, we have no business to even be looking around. Because the church is for God's glory. And he gets glory in you as you work together as a church. I ask you tonight, are you living a life of obedience? You know, this is, to me, I think every revival meeting ought to start on Saturday night. I like it because we're going to go to bed meditating unless we go home, watch TV in the fowls of the air, take everything out that we, that we uh, learned tonight. But if you go home, meditate a little bit on the scripture or what the Spirit had to say to you personally, You're going to be meditating on that 
and waking up with that tomorrow, your heart's going to be prepared for the next time God's going to speak to us as a church body. And then we're going to come back together. That We're going to get to have three meetings in less than 24 hours. That's awesome. That's why camp is so wonderful for kids. They're disconnected from the world, and they hear preaching after preaching after preaching after preaching. It allows them to peel off the layers of junk that the world has placed in their hearts. And so it is with us as a church. So let's talk about that. Are you obedient to God? Do I need to help you? Do you understand? You are commanded to read your Bible. Do you understand you are to meditate on God's word? Do you know what meditate means? It means to mumble. That means we're talking out God's word. We're speaking it under our breath. You know, when a guy cuts you off on the highway, you idiot. That, that's, that's meditation. You're mumbling your thoughts. God doesn't want you to mumble mean thoughts about other people. He wants you to mumble his word. He wants you to be thinking about it and talking it out. Do you hide God's word in your heart? Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not young anymore. I'm old. Oh, come on. That, uh, that might fool your preacher because he's so nice. You're not going to fool me with that. You do what you want to do. You can memorize scripture if you want. Just be honest. You don't want to because it is work. But I'll give you a good reason why we should. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When I hide God's word in my heart, it helps me to combat the wicked one when he attacks me. When he throws the fiery darts at me, when he tries to lure me into areas that I ought not to be, I hide God's word in my heart. The word of God is very important. Are you obedient? Or have you gotten slack? Or are you like most Christians that say they love God's word, but you give more of your time to the entertainment of the world? Whether it's on your phone or iPad or computer or TV, you'll be indoctrinated by the world thinking you have the filter on your mind that you can stop all the bad stuff. You give more of your time to the world than you do to the word. And our churches are becoming impotent, without power. We're being trodden under by the foot of men. We've lost our savor. It's because this generation of Christians in America are no longer people of the book. I'm saying church is a good thing because it helps us to build a life of obedience. Do you think the TV commercial that you see tonight is going to say, have you read your Bible today? Call us and we'll read it for you because you need to hear what God says to you. Oh, no. Are you witnessing? How can we say that we're followers of Christ when we don't witness? 
Jesus said, follow me, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Do you understand the weight of that statement? He's not expecting you to make yourself a fisherman. He just wants you to follow him. Did you catch that? He didn't say, hey, I'll send you to school to be a fisher of men. I'll bring someone along to just follow me. You follow me, and I, I know you're shy. I know you're backwards. I know you don't know a lot about the Bible. I know that you're scared. I know you get tongue-tied. I know you, you just don't feel very confident with your words. Don't worry about that. Just follow me. And I will take on the responsibility to make you a fisher of men. So if we're not fishing, we're not following. Or surely not following as close as we should. Are we obedient? Oh, I love God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Prayer? Ian Bounds said prayer can do anything God can do. It's just that so few of our members believe that. Most Christians spend less than an hour a week in prayer. How are we going to get the power of God without praying? Ask, ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. Pray without ceasing. Continue in prayer. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You would think that if, if our members really believed that, somebody would say, Man, I'm going to learn how to pray. If I can have the power of God in my life, I'm going to learn to pray. Are you obeying? Are you abstaining from the appearance of evil? Are you fleeing from sin? The temptations in our world today seem to be not just around us, but targeted at us. It's one of the blessings of a capitalistic society that doesn't honor God anymore. Because now they can market and target every one of us with their sinful ways. And don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. We face it every day. Are you obeying God? Are you resisting the devil? I'm saying tonight, church is a good thing. It's a big deal to us because we want to obey God. Are we always comfortable? No. But we want to be uncomfortable if we're not living right. Does that make sense? If you're saved tonight and you're not obeying God, you may not be comfortable right now, but deep in your heart, you're grateful for it because you want to do right. That's part of a new nature. Are you involved in the ministry of the church? Well, I'm really not qualified. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you're part of the body, 
You need to be functioning as part of the body. Well, I come every service. Bravo. You need to be here. You should be here. But you need to be a part of the activity of the church. You can push a vacuum. You can hand out a track. You can be an assistant in a Sunday school class. There's a multiple opportunity for you to be involved in the ministries of this church. And for us to excuse ourselves to someone else, you're missing out on growing in grace. You will find yourself going up and up and up in your growth in grace by being involved in ministry. You think God's going to give you more power so you can be a couch potato? He's going to give you more strength to do his will. I'm saying, are you obedient tonight? And then the second thought was, church is a big deal for me because it helps me center my life around God. And I know that God's not the center of my life when I start worrying. And we do. Let's, we worry about things. Some of us are worried about our weight. Seriously? Some of us are worried about, hey, you don't have to worry about a thing if God's the center of your life. You put God in the center of your life, it'll change everything that you do in life. It really will. God is who I trust. God is who I want to please. God is who I want to be around. God is who I want to just dream about and think about. That's why I set my affections on things above. That's why I think on these things. Church is a big deal, yes, to God, but it's a big deal to us. It's these reasons are why I love church. And quite frankly, reasons why I love this church. Because this church will help you live a life of obedience. This church will help center your life in worship around God. So tonight, if the Spirit has spoken to you, rather rude not to speak to him. You've been brushed off by people, have you not? Hey, how are you doing? And they just ignore you? How can we sit in God's house, hear from God's man, preaching God's word, spoken to personally by the Spirit, of God and not even answer. I'd say we ought to start the revival meeting with an old-fashioned altar call. Make an altar where you're at. Come to the altar up front. But let's talk to God. And if God hasn't spoken to you, I think that'd freak me out. 
I think I'd be on my knees saying, where did I miss it? Talk to me, God. I didn't come to church tonight to get nothing. I came to hear from you. And you know what? He'll speak to you right where you're at. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to ask the pianist and musicians to come and maybe not sing right at first. Let's just have music that would be appropriate for prayer. And I'm going to ask this precious church that I feel like I'm a friend of. I pray that I could be a blessing and a challenge. Let's just gather at the altar. You come right now. Father, these are precious people. These are your people. Most of them are your kids, maybe all of them. These are your saints, part of your church. Would you hear our prayers tonight? We would say maybe in different words, but all of us are going to say together, Oh, Lord. Wilt thou not revive us again? And for the soul that's one heartbeat from hell, I pray they would come tonight and speak to me or Pastor Keeley. Ask, what must I do to be saved? So that they wouldn't have to spend eternity in the regions of the damned. Father, would you revive this church? Hear our prayers tonight. In Jesus' name.